Welcome to Messy Life Podcast. You know, life is messy, but it's in our mess that we find our message. And just because your life is messy, it doesn't mean you're messed up. We want to open up our lives. We want to open up our mess. We want to open up what we've learned through really painful, dark journeys. And our hope on the other end of this podcast, on the other end of Messy Life, is that you would find courage and strength and laughter and joy in the midst of your journey, that you would know that you are not in this alone and that you are stronger than you ever thought you were. So let's get messy. So we are diving into our second podcast of Messy Life. Yeah, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going deep diving this time. Yeah, we're turning the tables this time. We are opening up our Messy Life podcast by talking about and processing pain. In the last episode, we talked about how um, pain is like a traveling professor, right? Mm-hmm. Like it knocks on the door of our life and... The greatest gift that we can give ourselves is to open the door and invite pain in to sit with us and teach us all the lessons that it has in store for us to teach. And so like Joel mentioned, we're turning the tables today and we are going to talk a little bit about his journey of pain and how it's been a great teacher to him. So yeah, you you know, the, the hard thing about this professor called pain is that he keeps showing up, you know, that's, that's the most difficult thing. And so I want to tell a story about some pain, uh, that showed up in my life, uh, when I turned 40, uh, just a couple years ago. And, uh, before I get into all of that, I, I, I want to just give you some background to it because, um, at 40, something started happening to me that I couldn't control. Yeah. Um, it was embarrassing Um, it was devastating to my self-confidence and even the persona that I had for myself, this person that I had, um, seen myself as and, um, worked so hard to create. Um, it was really, uh, eroding the foundation of that, that image person who I thought I was, all of those things. Um, but before I get to sharing exactly what happened here of recently, I got to go kind of go back a little bit just to kind of give you an, um, an idea of who I am. If you're an Enneagram person, I'm a, I'm a three. I am uh, an achiever. And so part of my story in my life is the story of achieving and desiring to do great things. I graduated college um, with honors, you know, which was a huge feat for me who struggled in school in the beginning. I was just talking to my friend just the other day about this crazy time in law school when we decided to have our first child in law school. We had our first child, we had our son, Lincoln, and then wrote a book at the same time. I was traveling on the weekends doing Acquire the Fire, these big arena events, and then I'd fly back home, go to law school during the week, and somehow was writing this book, having our first child. And these accomplishments that I, you know, would try to to have happen or to accomplish, and, and many of them I successfully did accomplish, 
But the story of the achiever that I was living out, which isn't a bad thing. It just, um, I, I think what I came to look at myself into um, the story that I had in my mind is I endure, that I'm an endure. No matter what happens, no matter what hardship comes against me, I'm going to endure. I, I'm going to, no, um, no matter what trial comes against me, I'm going to press through and I'm going to endure. And something was breaking down in me at age 40 that I couldn't, I couldn't like stop it. I, I couldn't just endure and press mm-hmm. through it. Um, it. It showed up in a big way and it affected me. Some of the meetings I was in during that time at work were, were just insane, chaotic meetings. And usually I would just kind of confidently make my way through it, have great things to share, but something happened my um in these meetings my chin would sometimes quiver um sometimes my voice would break like um like when you're a kid and you know you're you're either so upset or yeah. uh you don't know what to say and your your chin quivers and your voice cracks and you're just you, you you can't get it takes everything within you to try yeah. to do this and or to try to communicate and so I, I I tried to stop the first time it happened it was in this meeting and I I just I, I couldn't believe it happened it was so awkward it felt weird and I just was like I, I don't know what's going on with me today yeah but I never want that to happen again yeah about a month later same thing happens in this meeting. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe you need more sleep. Maybe you need more rest. Um, maybe, I I don't know. I I don't, I had never experienced that before. Do you, do you feel like it came when you felt fearful, when you felt intimidated, when you felt pressure, or did you like, were you at the place where you could identify what was like causing it? Maybe you didn't know at the time. I don't know. And just, yeah, well, I, I I don't know. When it first started coming, I couldn't like... You didn't know if it was like fear. I was fearful or I was intimidated or I was anxious. Like, Yeah, to me, my life had been full of anxiety, sure. yeah. full of pressure. Like, um, you know, I think back to lo- that law school time, you know, like four days a week, five days, four days a week in law school you know, working two days on the weekend, speaking in front of, you know, thousands in arenas and then, um, coming, coming home, trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband and then doing law school again, week after week. Right. Um, I I just, that was my life and I had never experienced anything like that, but fast forward, you know, seven years later or, or whatever. Um, and here I am, I wouldn't even say it's as stressful as that kind of a lifestyle. But I was like breaking down. There was something that I wasn't able to just easily ease my way through life. There was, there was, um, or or even to endure it. I just, I didn't know what was going on at that point in time. And so I, I remember that it, it was getting more and more frequent to like maybe I would have an episode once a week, once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. 
and it was getting embarrassing and I could tell others and could, could tell that there was something going on. Yeah. And so it kind of set me on a search, you know, like, um, you know, pain, it, it starts, if it comes and it doesn't leave, you know, it keeps knocking at your door. It's trying to tell you something. Right. And I, yeah. I was open to just say, okay, what, well, something's wrong here. It's kind of like if you, um, if something hurts in your ankle, the pain isn't bad. It's just telling you, you need to investigate what, what happened. There's a, there's an injury. There's something that's not whole and you need to go investigate a little bit. And so I, I, I tried to do my due diligence and I went to my physician and I had my blood work done and I did notice that, um, it came back, everything was fine except for my testosterone level was my, I guess there's two different kinds of testosterone, uh, levels that they check. Um, one is in your blood stream and blood flow and, and that one was low. Um, and so I, I got on testosterone and that really helped. It helped my mental concentration. It helped me. And I saw definitely some changes and some positive results, but it, it didn't fix what was going on. And I remember, um, I was actually, I was sitting on the, um, in a seat in the bathroom, up in our bathroom. And I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about, okay, what, what's happening? And, and I knew that it must not be physical. Like I was physically, I was in great shape, um, except for my testosterone levels and we had fixed that, but I was still having these episodes. So I knew it must be emotional. I knew that it had to be something psychological or emotional. And so my next place after going, um, to the, to the physician was to go and to, to get a counselor. I had a friend I, that had, he had talked about going to his counselor and she, you know, she was on, uh, iPhone or, you know, you, you could digitally contact this, this individual. And she, um, she began to talk to me about kind of like, what was your past like? And, you know, what's, what's going on in your life? Tell me more about that. And as we were walking through some of those things, I began to tell her on one of those phone calls, I began to tell her about the years where I had this abusive stepdad. And, um, and she said, so tell me, you know, a little bit more about this abusive stepfather of yours. Like, what would he do? And I just began to to tell her, you know, some of the most, I don't know, few, few worst years of my life. I was in middle school. Um, I mean, he, he was just, a, a, I don't know. He was just a, one of the worst human beings that I've ever met in my life. And I say that because, you know, he would come home from work at around three and my mom would come home from her job at around six and 6 p.m. and he would be home at around 3 3 30 p.m. and those middle hours during the day were some of the um the most fearful um anxious hours mm. the kind of the in between you know in between being at school um i would get home 
be there for a little bit, and then we would hear his boots coming in through, you know, upstairs through the front door. And I remember it was kind of the same ritual every day. I, w- I would hear the, the work boots clomping across the wooden floor of the kitchen. And then you would hear a cabinet open up and there would, um, you'd hear uh, a bourbon bottle open. You'd hear the refrigerator open and he always drank bourbon. He drank about a quart of bur- bourbon a day. Um, um, he drank a whole bottle almost every day, but he drank it with seven up. So from about 3.30... To about nine o'clock, he was drinking um, in the evening before, and then he'd pass out for bed and wake up early and head to, you know, the construction site or the job site. During that time, as you know, he he'd start drinking. It was no matter what we had, if we had homework or whatever, it was time to start working. And for me, being in sixth grade, um, it was like work that I had never even been. <laughs> been uh, subjected to. I grew up in sure. suburbia, you know, low, <laughs> lower class suburbia. Um, you know, I had a single mom raising me and, she, you know, my, the extent of my labor was vacuuming, you know, right. and yeah. helping out with the house, you know, maybe taking out the trash and um, maybe mowing the lawn. You know, that was right. like, yeah. that was, that was hard labor for me, but he, we had five acres of land. And um, so, you know, for him, it was, all right, take this chainsaw and chop down this tree and then take this wood and split split all this wood up so that we can use it. Dig these holes in this rock-hard clay uh, with a post hole digger mm-hmm. and building this retaining wall, which I didn't even know what a retaining wall was. Right. It's this big U-shaped thing in the backyard. I, I, I had no idea. And he would stand up on the porch and with a cigarette in hand and a glass of bourbon in the other and just yell profanities down mm. like you're you're a lazy fat ass. I was a large kid, oh you know, my at gosh, that time. It's awful. Um, you know, he he'd be yelling and yeah. screaming, get to work and grab the shovel. And I'd be like, I don't know where that that is. He's like, Well, it's right there. You know, if it was a snake, it would bite you, you lazy, you know, you 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 fat lazy you know you're you're not good for anything but you're like a seagull you're nothing good for you know um sitting eating and you know i I don't know if we'll bleep that out or whatever but you know the the profanities would come and for a single parent mom who was raised by a pretty nurturing mother yeah it's so hard to be all of a sudden in this culture Mm. um you know, I I hadn't really even processed that. And she, she said, um, my counselor, she was saying to me, she said, you know, Joel, she was digging into this because I had told her, you know, of course that, I, I mean, I'm a 40 year old man and my chin is quivering and I can't like, I can't function. <laughs> right. And so she's digging into this, this trauma, like yeah. back in the day. And she said, so w- what would you do? Like, how would you, how would you maneuver that situation and I just, you know, I told her, well, I just, you know, I was in sixth grade. I just tried to get out of the way. Yeah. You know, I just tried to put my head down. I just tried to like, you know, not get into any conflict, not cause any, any conflict. Um, just try to stay unseen if I yeah. could. And um, that's when... Of course, there's a lot of tears when I was 
kind of working yeah. through this. And, and oh my gosh, this I can only imagine. This is something that I I thought like I had. I th- I mean I could talk about it. It wasn't like I was like hiding it in a closet. Right. It would right. it would be something that I would openly share with anyone, or, or even if I was sharing with others, or I I talk about yeah, I had these three years that were you yeah. know just traumatic for me, and and I wouldn't have anything. I just wasn't connecting the pieces that at that time in life I d- developed this way of surviving right where I just put my head down I just became unseen um I didn't speak without thinking it through I you know my actions I would think about them and you know I as I'm processing even right now, you know, during that time, I felt so stupid. I yeah. felt so dumb because he'd be like, you're a dumbass. You're, yeah. a, you're, 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 a, you know, you're so stupid. Yeah, how come he was wanting me to be a soldier when I, I, I never even had a loving father. Right. Like uh, my dad and mom got divorced when I was, you know, 14 months old. So I, I didn't grow up with a dad. And so I think I had a longing to be um, a beloved son. And he was like, I'm here to make you a man. Right. And I think it it it, it struck a wound in me. I remember um, every day after school, before he would come home, I would go up into his bedroom and my mom's bedroom. They had a VCR up there and a television. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. And I don't think we had another v- VCR, maybe in my brother's room, there's a VCR, but, um, you know, I, there was, there was nothing, nowhere else where I really could watch TV. So I, I'd sneak up into their room and we had the wizard of Oz. And I remember every day, almost every single day after school, my favorite part was when it, right when it turned color, and she came, you know, Dorothy came into, you know, the Munchkin land, the village there and that whole part and the Yellow Brick Road. And then to the Scarecrow where, um, you know, the the whole part where they talk and then his his song of singing If I Only Had a Brain. I would watch that every single day. Mm-hmm. I knew the lyrics. Um, I think in some ways it, def- I think I knew there was something inside of me that was wanting to be intelligent, that was knowing that I was intelligent, but feeling like a scarecrow. Yeah. Feeling like maybe, I don't know, maybe finding my role in this lovable character who felt so stupid and inadequate. Um, I even look at, I mean, I think this was such a defining thing for me. I mean, in the song... One of the lines goes, you know, I could be another Lincoln if I, in whatever, do some sort of thinking if I only had a brain, you know? Mm. And I, I mean, my son is named Lincoln. You know, I, I, there were so many defining things that I found in those moments of that movie during this time of trauma. And I think, um, I think d- during that, I, I was trying to find myself, trying to escape trying to figure out who I was. I think that was a huge insecurity. My education at that point, feeling stupid, feeling dumb. I struggled in school, all of those things. Mm. And 
just trying to stay out of the way of his verbal abuse and his physical abuse. So as we're processing this and, and going through this, some connections began to come about with the current state where I was at and the meetings that I was in and the anxious environment, the some of the toxic environment that I was in, the pressure that I was feeling mm-hmm. and the, the coping mechanism that I created for survival at 12, you know, and 13, that was really good for that time. Yeah. Like it helped me to survive. Like it helped me make it from in a, in a situation where really my life was on the line. My, my, the last night I'd ever see my stepdad. He was in a drunken rage and was threatening to throw me from the second story um, of our home. And, you know, that night he, he didn't he didn't ultimately do it, but it was traumatic and I could hear his fists going through walls, you know, breaking through the sheetrock and this this tantrum, this the terror that he would bring. Yeah. Um, he passed out and went to work the next morning and my mom, she packed us up and we just left. And I've, I've never, we never saw him since we just left town. He never found us again. And so me surviving and learning the surviving coping mechanism of saying, okay, no matter what happens, we're going to make it. Just keep your head down when it gets, just keep going, just keep pursuing, just keep enduring this thing, this coping mechanism that saved my life, I didn't realize that I was walking through that for the rest of my wow. life. Wow. Yeah. You know, I think what's interesting about what you're sharing, it's so it's so interesting to me and funny how you can process your story. Like you can talk about your story. I mean, I've heard you share about your stepdad since I've known you like 14 years ago. But there's a difference, I think, between sharing the story, sharing the experience, and processing the pain. I think there's oh, a that's good. there's a big difference between you can share the story, and sometimes you can share it so confidently, you can share it without emotion. But there's a big difference between you've always shared your story of your stepdad. I mean, I've heard it since before you and I even formally knew each other. I heard your story about your stepdad. But I think what was happening on the other end of this conversation with your counselor was that maybe, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but it sounds like maybe for the first time you were processing the pain that was attached to what you experienced in the sixth grade with your stepdad, you know? Yeah, I think I was processing the pain. Um, And I think that the pain I was experiencing at the present this, you know, cracking voice and yeah. um, this wounded child, so to speak. Wow, yeah. You yeah. know, that was like physically trying to get out of me. Right. And crazy. It, what saved my life at 13, at 12, was now taking my life mm. at 40. Yep. That was so true and so good. And, it was good and it was it was necessary for me at that age it was it was not appropriate anymore 
in my life. Yeah. Because it was keeping me from my true authentic self and it was keeping me trapped in a story and in a time and in a way of life that I no longer needed for survival. So do you feel like the circumstance you were in, the environment that you were in was a trigger to what you experienced as a teen, as a teenager or in sixth grade with your stepdad? Do you feel like it was triggering you, thus causing the like coping mechanisms that you used to utilize in sixth grade when you were with an abusive stepdad? Absolutely. I, I feel like the... Um, environment that I was in was an abusive environment. And it was triggering unprocessed things that you had not fully. Yeah. In that room, there were two individuals that were in positions of authority over me. One was verbally abusive. And again, not all the time, but often enough. And the other one kind of worked as an enabler Now, this individual had the authority, the enabler had the authority to stop it, but chose not to. I think seeing that... It triggered you 100%. Because what I was experiencing as a child was my stepdad and my mom and one enabling the other to continue with an abusive behavior. And I've never even put that connection together fully till like right now. Yeah. And so it was triggering it. It wasn't, I don't think it's so much, I mean, that, that, those folks are doing their deal and that's their issue and that's what's going on in their life. But that issue that's going on in their life triggered. Yeah. And I actually can say, thank you. You know, thank you. That I, I'm just glad that I was put in that situation so that it would manifest in me so that I could take care of something that I didn't even know was going on. Yeah. It's so interesting how sometimes we're involved in circumstances or a meeting or something, whatever it might be, that triggers something on the inside of us. And I think our responsibility is to chase down the trigger and find out what is it that's triggering me. And oftentimes, if you chase the trigger down and you get to the root, you realize that it's unprocessed pain. Mm -hmm. It's a wound that you fully haven't opened up and processed through and given yourself the opportunity and the space to heal. You know, it's so interesting. I think that I was in those meetings with you and I got to see this happen. Like I got to witness what you were walking through. And I remember you like sharing with me what you were going through. And I think it was the intensity of the intensity of what was ta- transpiring. It was intense, you know. And I, I don't think we need to necessarily divulge what was going on in the meetings, other than the fact that I think it triggered. I think it triggered something in a lot of people in that room. But you know, the, it's funny we see the same counselor, you and I, yeah. and. Um, And so it's been so fun to walk through this journey of processing triggers, but it's so cool. Our counselor, we see her separately. She's, she said something to me that I thought was so fascinating. She said, the brain oftentimes does not know how to process trauma. 
So what it does is it freezes it. It freezes it. Yeah. And it never lets you process it. It doesn't, your brain does not know how to comprehend processing trauma. And so oftentimes what you experienced as a sixth grader with your abusive stepdad, your brain froze it, right? It's like you freeze that emotion Mm -hmm. and you can talk about it. You can talk about it without talking about the pain that's attached to it. And then isn't it fascinating that you can be in an environment or a circumstance or a situation Mm -hmm. that triggers a pain in you of that trauma that you experienced. And it's almost like a hammer that just, boom, busts open or shatters this brick of ice. And right in the center is this unprocessed trauma and this unprocessed pain. And so never ignore a trigger, right? Like... And ultimately, if you chase the trigger down to the root and you process it, the trigger loses its power over you, mm-hmm. is, is what I'm kind of even learning as I'm kind of learning my own triggers. I think it's if you'll chase that trigger to the root, which is exactly what you did through your counseling appointment, through understanding that, oh my gosh, the, the trigger to my quivering chin and the trigger, trigger to what I'm feeling, this emotion, this intimidation that I'm feeling really stems back from a very abusive situation that at six in sixth grade, you didn't fully know how to process. Yeah. And I think that, that, um, a lot of times the temptation is to, um, focus on the one who is activating that trigger Totally, that's and to so say, good, Joel. to say they're this or they're that, but really what the professor is trying to say is, I'm, I, um, here's this person that's, that is triggering these things that we need to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what it's doing, what pain is trying to teach you in the midst of a trigger. Mm-hmm. See what we do when somebody triggers us is I think we surrender to that person and we let them continue to have the power over us. Mm. But not not the person in the room with you at present, but the person of, of your past. Or both. Or both. Or yeah. both. Or both. You know, I think sometimes when there's a person in your life that triggers you, that person can always have power over you because they provoke a really painful memory, a really painful... They remind you of your trauma, right? Yeah. But when you chase that trigger down, you address it, you process it, that trigger is no longer, no longer has power over you. It gets weaker and weaker and you get stronger and stronger. And so what happens is when you're in that opposition or you're with that person or that circumstance or that situation that triggers you, they also lose their power. And it's really not about them losing their power as much as it is you gaining your power. Oh, that's so it. And so That's you can it. be in the exact same situation that maybe it's crazy, maybe it's abusive, maybe it's whatever, maybe it's not, but you have processed and dealt with your trigger. And so that trigger no longer has power over you. You have power over it. Mm-hmm. And you have, and, and again, I just want to say that again, it's not about that person having power over you or you having power over them. It's about you being in control of your own self. Mm-hmm. Right. And what that is, is doing your work. It's doing your work. That's what it is. It is. It's doing your work. It's saying, oh my gosh, this triggered me. But when you get triggered, when like a pain trigger happens, it sucks. It's awful. I hate it. Like, 
I've been aware of some triggers recently and it, and it, oh my God, I hate it. I'm full of tears and I cry and it provokes you. But if you will just sit with it, right? That, that was your mm-hmm. teacher, Joel. That was pain knocking on your door and saying, come in and let me sit with you and let me teach you a really great lesson that you're no longer that wounded sixth grader who couldn't stand up to an alcoholic abusive stepdad. That's not who you are anymore. You have a voice and you're stronger than you ever knew that you were. You're an amazing father, an amazing husband. Like, I love that, you know, and, but you did your work, Mm -hmm. right? You, you got on the other end of a very difficult counseling appointment with an amazing person who made you process that trauma. And it was painful, and I mean, I don't want to speak for you, yeah, but yeah. I remember me. that night. <laughs> what do you remember that oh night? Oh my gosh, like I remember you sobbing, like just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I was like, oh my God, what did you do? What did counseling do to you? But I think it unlocked, and I remember I had the exact same experience with Sharon is it okay to say her name? Yeah. Okay. Course. We're going to sure. have her on the show. I mean, she, she's she's coming. Whether she wants to or not, she's, she I is know. coming. I feel like Sharon is somebody that I hold so near and dear that I don't want anybody else to have her. I'm so protective over her. I feel like maybe we should have made up an alias name for her or something, but um, we could call her Susan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's such an inside joke, y'all. I, 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 so let's call yeah. her Susan. I want to call her Susan. Susan. I already let the cat out of the bag. Their name is Sharon. Yeah. But anyway, I remember that night, like you had gotten off your counseling appointment with Sharon and you were just sobbing. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, what did this lady do to my husband? But I think it was the first night that you truly, from an adult perspective, process the pain of your stepdad and the abuse of your stepdad. And you shifted when you did that, Joel. Like I watched you get stronger in the environment that was triggering you. And I know that because I've, Sharon has hit a very big trigger for me where I had to process things with my dad. And I'll never forget that night. I had like an emotional vulnerability hangover for like a week. I mean, you would have thought I drank a bottle of tequila all by myself in one night. No, I just did a really intense counseling appointment. You know, yeah. but anyway. Yeah, no, I, I mean. Back to your. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, if you were going to drink a whole bottle of tequila, <laughs> I mean, hopefully you made margaritas out of them. Hopefully. <laughs> um. So, okay, let's go back to that appointment with your counselor where you realized it was your trigger how long did it take you before you were able to overcome that and like not experience the quiver, not experience the, the like shaking of your voice and the intimidation? I mean, how long did it take? What happened? What was that journey like? Well, I think I wish it would have just stopped. Like, okay, I had my cry <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm better now, you right? know, Yeah, but it totally. wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, I still was experiencing the same thing. But it, it began, as I began to recognize that, was aware of, okay, your coping mechanism that you had when you were 13 or 12, like, you can't do that. Like, like that's not appropriate anymore. Yeah. You are a 40-year-old man who has his doctorate, 
who has great ideas to share, who has navigated a life, who has been an amazing husband, if I may so, say so myself, who's been, <laughs> you know, an, an am- You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a <laughs> darn good dad. And, and I, that's not who I am and that's not how I need to proceed. Right. So being aware of that began to transform me. Yeah. Um, I think as I also continued to process that time, um, something that Sharon, you know, our counselor spoke to us was, um, was to me was that your brain can only take so much trauma at a time. Yeah. Uh, so it time releases it and you have to go back to it. Yeah. Over weeks, over could be years, but it's so much trauma at one time that your brain can't handle it at one time. Yeah. It would be too much. Yeah. And so that it to to keep you surviving, it you have to kind of go through it. But once I was aware that that was how I was coping through life, I was able to take step by step by step and begin to have more and more of an awareness in those meetings. So it went from like, instead of once every two weeks, it went, you know, then it moved to a little bit longer, you know, that would happen every three weeks to a month. And then a couple months would pass, but it would still come back. I'd still be embarrassed you know, kind of at those, at that, that meeting or that time. But I grew stronger and healthier. And I, I mean, I can say today, I, I don't, I can't even remember the last time mm. I had one of those episodes. Yeah. And I love that. That I celebrate in a big way. Yeah. You know, I love this quote. I want to read it. Yeah. Because I think it, when I reflect back on the environment that was triggering you, I have a lot of mixed emotions that I don't know that we're ready to process on the podcast just yet. But I love this quote. True forgiveness is when you can say, thank you for that experience. Oh my gosh, that's so good. And, um, and I think you can look back on that experience in a very explosive environment, a very heated environment, a very um, verbally, I mean, I'm going to say probably borderline verbally abusive environment. You can look back on that and you can say, thank you for that experience because you are stronger. Like you didn't just triumph over that situation. You didn't just triumph over the people that were causing you to experience the triggers. Like you triumphed over your stepdad. You triumphed over that 12, 13-year-old boy who at the time didn't know how to process what you were going through. You know what I mean? Like thank you so much for that experience Mm -hmm. because it led you to greater levels of healing. And that, you know what I love about that, Joel? That's true power right there. Absolutely. And that is not power from anybody else but within yourself. Mm-hmm. God-given power that always is within you. And I love that. I love it when you tap into a power source. Really, the God that is on the inside of you is what I believe it is. But it's you tap into a power 
that is yours and yours alone, that nobody can take away from you, that nobody can bully out of you, that nobody can intimidate out of you, that nobody can yell and scream profanities and put you down and diminish you because you overcoming a trigger, you processing the pain of a, of a 12, 13 year old kid and what you walked through, you processing that pain and triumphing over that is a strength you found from within yourself that nobody can take away from you. And I love that. Like when you find that strength within yourself, man, the power is within your own hands. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I was giving away power totally when I was in those situations. Yep. And I think that's the gift that God gave me in this environment that he called me to, that he placed me into was saying, I no longer want you to live in this way. I no longer want you to live unauthentically or to give away your power when you're put in these situations because that's not who I made you to be. That's not the creator made me to be that way. Uh, some of you listening out there, maybe the as far as you, you could say, I don't know if there's a creator, but the universe, whatever, whatever it is, I believe it's God. God created me to be powerful, yeah. to be strong, to be unafraid, unintimidated. And I, unknowing to my conscious mind, was giving it away when I would be in those situations. Yeah. And not living to my full potential and authenticity as he designed and created me to be. Yeah. So here's what I love about the whole story that you just processed. At 40 years old and an explosive meeting, when your voice quivered, your chin quivered and your voice kind of shook, that was pain knocking at your door is what that was. Mm. That was the professor. Yeah. Saying, I have a lesson to teach you. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes pain knocking on your door is really embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> okay. Can I just say how emasculating that was for, for yeah, me? Yeah. I know. I remember, Joel. I remember you walking through it. Like... It broke my heart, you know, like it broke my heart to watch you, but you, can I just say this, like in the midst of you feeling emasculated in those meetings, I sat in those meetings with you. Like I was in those meetings as your wife, not all of them, but some of them. But can I be honest with you? You took such, you took the brave and courageous way out. You could have medicated, you could have caved in and given them what they wanted, which is to control you. Like, you didn't do that. You were so courageous and so brave about the way that you handled it. And yeah, let me just say this. In some people's eyes, they would have thought that it was you're being a wuss or whatever. In my eyes, to chase down that trigger and say, I'm going to get a counselor and I'm going to find out what is going on. Oh my God, I think that's the most courageous thing that anybody could ever do. And you processed it and you went there and you triumphed over it so victoriously. And I think that that's what an incredible man does. A man who's not afraid to process his emotions, but to really go there and say, what's happening to me? And I've got to get on the other side of it, I think is one of the most courageous things that you could have ever done. And here's what happened. Pain knocked at your door. And there's always nosy neighbors, not that we have nosy neighbors. We have the best neighbors on the face of the planet. 
But there's always people looking into your life wondering what's going on, right? Pain knocking at your door is, is very public. Sometimes it's very public. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. But pain knocked on your door in the form of a, a shaking chin and a quivering voice. And you opened up the door and you invited him in. And he yeah. taught you. He taught you that there was unprocessed trauma and unprocessed pain. And you grew on the other side of that and you became stronger. Mm-hmm. You became stronger and you were no longer an abused 13-year-old kid who was giving your stepdad all the power. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about, right? Like that's that right there is what it's all about. Listen, I know... I don't know. I know a lot of people who probably would have run from that and escaped from that. And and this is what oftentimes we do and we've all been guilty. Like there's no shade in me saying this. We've all done this, me included. You feel a trigger come on. And and what trigger is, what that is is pain knocking at your door, right? You feel pain knocking at your door. But here's what we do sometimes, and I talked about this in the last podcast. We close the blinds and we bolt the windows shut and lock the doors and close the garage, and we ignore that he's there, and then we self-medicate, right? We scroll. We turn on the television. We open up a beer, pop open a bottle of wine. We self-medicate. We ignore that pain is knocking at our door mm-hmm. because that's a cheap way out. It's an easy way out, and we've all done it. We've mm-hmm. all done it. Like... We get busy, we ignore the feeling, we press through it, and you didn't do that. Like you really invited pain to come in and sit with you, and you were victorious on the other side of it. Thank you so much. It's awesome. Maybe I'll just um, kind of land this plane. Land um, it. With this. Um, <laughs> land it. Several months back, uh, I was had the awesome opportunity to be at a night with John Eldridge. Yeah. And he was sharing at a, it was an all men's meeting and he was sharing and he was just saying, talking to us about what it looks like to be the warrior. He was talking about, um, the stages of a man's development and how in order for a man to be whole, that he's got to walk through the stages in a healthy way. And the, kind of the stages are as, um, the beloved son. You have to be that. Um, maybe that's one to ten. That's the major focus. that You need them all for your whole life, and they lap over each other, but that's a major focus. Then the next one, he John calls it the cowboy stage, where it's more adventurous, and you want to go try stuff, and you know, you're, you're you're trying to find things to make ramps to jump your bike off of. And you know, you're, it's that stage. And if you're, if you're not the beloved son, if you don't know that, or if you don't have that cowboy stage, man, it makes the next stages more difficult yeah, because it's a building block, right? Like you're building on top of each other. Yep. The next kind of stage that overlaps is the warrior stage. And you, you get a cause you, you get, whether it's, a political cause or whether it's a, um, um, a religious cause or whether it's a, just something you're passionate about comes and you, you fight for this thing. And then kind of the lover stage comes in there and it's mixed in with the warrior stage where 
you're all of a sudden poetry and art, you know, that band, oh man, they get me, you know, they're speaking to me right yeah, now, you know, you, and it, yeah. whether it's music or art or something, there's something that comes alive in you, you know, the, the romance as well. Yeah. But all of this comes together for one of the main purposes is becoming a king where you have your kind of your influence, your dominion grows larger than ever. Maybe you have a family now and now that you're not just you're a manager now or, or you own your own business now and your influence expands. And he was talking about these different stages and how God can actually father you back through if you miss the stage. Wow. Like if you were never the beloved son. Yeah. God is out of time and space. That even if you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 and you never experience that, you can go back with the creator of fatherhood. Yeah. The creator and you can be healed. Maybe you were overprotected as a child and you never had adventure, but God can take you back even now through adventurous situations and heal some of those wounds. Yeah. I love so that. he was talking about that. And then the next morning I woke up and I went to breakfast and I was sitting at this booth by myself with my journal. I hadn't had an episode where my chin quivered in a long time at this point. But this is what I wrote to myself just this last February. And I wrote a letter to me at 12 years old. Wow. And I'll just share that with you. All right. Young Joel, I've got you. I will take care of you. It's better that you allow me to handle the stresses of life. You are asked to carry things a child should not have to carry. You don't have to carry them anymore. You are beloved of God. Mm. And by me, and this is the 40-year-old talking to the, the 40-something-year-old talking to the 12-year-old, you don't have to wear that armor anymore. It doesn't fit. God has healed us and strengthened us. Let down the defensive and offensive armor. You don't have to be scared. You are not a slave. You don't have to scamper anymore or belittle yourself. You don't have to wear what you never should have. We got you, me and God. We love you, and we want you to run free. We want you to be carefree and feel all the pride and love of our Father. I'm proud of you. You did a great job getting us through some tough times. You will always be a part of me. You helped me get here. Thank you, but today I'm going to lead. I am a man. I am made to handle man problems obstacles. So thank you for you and thank you for who you are, but you are free to be a child. So loved 
by the Father. I'm going to carry the sword, the armor, and wear the crown. I am the rightful king, a king who bows to the king. And that was a capital K. Mm. God. So beautiful, Joel. And that's what we do. Yeah. We walk into the pain. We walk into when pain becomes public, it's saying, I have something more for you. Yeah. And then we heal, whether it's the child, the beloved son, whether it's the cowboy, whether it's the warrior, whether it's the lover, whether it's the king, wherever you need to be met, you go, you press into the pain so that you, where you are in this present day, can place the crown upon your head that you are always meant to wear. And you respect what maybe a a childhood moment or a teenage moment or a young man moment that you had to press through and you had to survive and you honor that because your past has gotten you to where you are at your present. But your past and what you use to cope and survive can no longer go with you into the present place of your purpose that you're called to. Yeah, so good. And so maybe there's some men out there who are listening to this. It's time to press into the pain. The most courageous thing you could do would be to allow the professor in and to let him understand, to let him teach you so that you can understand what's holding you back from walking in your true power, authority, authenticity. So where do you need to heal? Yeah. Where do you need to go back into? Is it the beloved son? Right now, I know that you could ask God to father you. He is the inventor of parenting and fatherhood. He's the best. Maybe you were sheltered. You didn't get the adventure. Maybe you were always intimidated. Walk with God through it. Maybe you've never had a cause to fight for. There's a cause waiting for you. Walk into the pain. Let that pain teach you. Walk through the embarrassment. It's uncomfortable. Get some help. I didn't know how to process the pain on my, on my own. I'm a guy. And sometimes I don't know if I can process feelings that well. But I got a coach, a counselor, who could help me walk through those things. And I just want to tell you, there is freedom waiting for you. It may be messy, but let me tell you, you're not messed up. It may be messy, but your message is found in your mess. Pain is our most beautiful teacher. He's a professor, and he's knocking at our door at times. Not all the time. Thank God. I I can do it all the time. God. But when he comes, invite him in, because he has amazing lessons in store for you. 
We've created this podcast because we love helping people along their journeys. Beyond the podcast, you'll find us coaching folks through their messy moments. We do this online or on site for individuals, couples, and organizational leaders. So if you'd like to talk to one or both of us, you can head over to joeljohnson.org or you can get in touch with us through social media. Also, if you like the show, head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. And you can share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to Messy Life Podcast.